0: Well, thank you, Chris, for this opportunity. Good to be here. Good to see you. I don't know what Chris told you this morning as to why I wasn't here, but the real story is he, all of a sudden, he felt the need to preach this morning, and so he locked me in a closet in the back of his house, got out this afternoon, and so I'm able to be here. But it's good to be here. Thank you for uh, the opportunity, and I've uh, been looking forward to this, and uh, appreciate so much uh, being here with you tonight. I'm going to uh, talk tonight about failure, so I have a little video clip that we're gonna show, so if that's ready, we'll project that.
1: Dismissed from drama school with a note that read, wasting her time, she's too shy to put her best foot forward. Turned down by the Decca Recording Company who said, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. A failed soldier, farmer, and real estate agent. At 38 years old, he went to work for his father as a handyman. Cut from the high school basketball team, he went home, locked himself in his room, and cried. A teacher told him he was too stupid to learn anything, and he should go into a field where he might succeed by virtue of his pleasant personality. Fired from a newspaper because he lacked imagination and had no original ideas fiance died. He failed in business twice. He had a nervous breakdown and he was defeated in eight elections. If you've never failed, you've never lived.
0: How do you handle failure? Failure is one of those things. It defines us It's very much like success. Success defines us because it reveals our character. Failure not only reveals our character, but it also shapes our character and it can define our destiny. So how you handle failure in life is very important. And you saw in the video clip there were a number of people in history whom we consider successes. And when we look at these people like Michael Jordan and Abraham Lincoln and others who were displayed, We only see their successes. We see what they contributed to society. We see what they contributed to the world. And what we read about is their success. But many of these individuals, before they actually arrived to success, they failed, and they failed miserably. But the lesson that we learn from these individuals is they did not allow their failures to paralyze them or to define their destiny. Failure is one of those cycles in life. It's a season that we all go through. When I think of seasons, I think of different characteristics. Back where I grew up, and even here in Louisiana, there are four distinct seasons, which is something that I miss in California, because in California, the weather is pretty much the same year-round. But when I was growing up, there were four distinct seasons, and there were characteristics in those distinct seasons, And that's the way life is. There are different seasons that we kind of weave in and out of. And failure is one of them. And if you're going to be successful in life, if you're going to be happy in life, if you're going to feel fulfilled in life, then you and I have to know how to handle and deal with failure. It's one of those cycles in life. But the problem that we have with failure is we are taught that we're not to fail. Our society perpetuates that. We display people that are successful, and then we set them up as a model that this is the way life ought to be. We're taught even from our childhood that we're not to fail. And so we grow up in life thinking that failure is bad, that failure is weakness. As we look at history, there are all kinds of people who became successes, but their life really started out with failure, But as I think about failure, I don't want us to run through the annals of history. I want to raise a question tonight and ask you this. Is there an example in Scripture of people who failed? I believe there is. I believe there are several. But the one that I want us to look at tonight is found in Luke chapter 22. It's the story of Peter. And you're very familiar with that story. Peter denied the Lord three different times. And in that denial, he felt like a failure. And the reason it was such a failure is because he had originally told the Lord that he would never deny him, that he would go with him to death, he would go with him to the grave, that he would stand by him. And then in this moment of pressure and temptation, Peter caved in. What makes this a very sad story is because Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was a part of the inner circle. He was a part of Jesus' closest confidants. He was one whom Jesus relied on, depended on. But in a moment of pressure, a moment of temptation, Peter caved in and he failed. And he was very bitter about that. He was very much disappointed with himself. He felt hopeless. And I think we can learn some things from Peter this evening to help us deal with something that really is a part of the cycle of life. And that is failure. The message tonight is entitled, Hope for Seasons of Failure. Because if you're like me, you have had events in which you have failed. You have had seasons in which you have failed in life. And these seasons and these events... And these times in your life, they leave you feeling hopeless. As we look at the story of Peter, it is a a lesson in which we see one who was very hopeless, one who was very disappointed. But as we look at this story, we also see one who had hope at the very end. And there's hope for you and there's hope for me if you're experiencing failure or have experienced failure. So what do we learn from Luke chapter 22? I think there are three key truths that we learn from Luke chapter 22 as we look at Peter's failure. First of all, we see that failure is never final. Now, let's look at his failure for just a moment. In verse 54, I want us to to look at how he failed Jesus, beginning in verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. later another asserted certainly this fellow was with him for he is a galilean peter replied man i don't know what you're talking about and just as just as he was speaking the rooster crowed then the lord turned and looked straight at peter then peter remembered the word the lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today you will disown me three times so here we have a description We have a picture of this scenario of Peter failing the Lord not once, not twice, but three times he disowned the Lord. Now, why was this a failure? Well, if you back up to several verses in verse 34 of Luke chapter 22, you'll see this conversation between Jesus and Peter in which Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him three different times before the rooster crows. And Peter was a little arrogant at this point. He was a little confident, maybe a little too self-assured. Peter said, Lord, you've got to be kidding me. This is me. This is Peter. I'm one of your closest friends. I have walked with you. I have served with you for for three years. Me? I would never fail you. I would never disown you. I would go with you to the grave I would stand up for you any day under any circumstance. It was a failure in Peter's eyes because he did something that he never intended to do. He did something that violated his statement, his assertion. He told the Lord, Lord, I would never deny you. I would never disown you. But in a moment of pressure, a moment of temptation, a moment of heat, He gave in. After Jesus was arrested, when Jesus needed him the most, one of his closest disciples, one of his closest friends, he disowned him. But here's the tragedy the tragedy is not that Peter disowned the Lord. We've read this story countless times. And oftentimes we will ascribe in this story that the tragedy is the fact that Peter disowned the Lord. But that's not the tragedy as I see it. Here's the tragedy. The tragedy is how Peter felt about himself after he made those decisions. Peter felt like a failure. Peter felt hopeless. Now look at verse 62 because in verse 62... This is the tragedy of the whole story. In verse 62, it says, And he went outside and he wept bitterly. He went outside and wept bitterly. Now, why would Peter go outside and weep bitterly? It's because he was disappointed. He felt hopeless. He, he knew that he had failed the Lord. He knew that he was a failure in his estimation in this moment. He knew that he had done something that he didn't intend to do. He made a decision that was not the right decision, so he felt hopeless. He felt like that the decision that he had made was final. Now, what about your failures in life? What about those times in which you have done something, said something, that resulted in failure? Do you feel hopeless? Do you feel like it's final? You see, the tragedy of this story in this particular moment, is Peter felt like that his decision, his action, his behavior in that moment was final. Many of us in life, when it comes to matters of faith, we make decisions in our lives about our spiritual lives. We make decisions in our lives about other aspects of our lives. And sometimes they're not the right decisions. And we are very much like Peter. Peter wept bitterly. And in our hearts, we feel disappointed. We feel like failures. And we feel like the decisions that we have made are final. You see, the tragedy is not what Peter did, the tragedy is how he felt about himself. I want to ask you a question this evening. The question is this it's not so much how do you feel about your personal failures, but how do you feel about failure in general? You see, in order to really be able to survive, to deal with, to address failure in life, you have to have the right theology about failure. Now, I shudder in using the word theology because when we use the word theology, we often think that theology is something for the theologians. We think theology is something for the seminary professors, or we think theology is something that only preachers have to dabble in. But the fact of the matter is, is that theology is about everyday life. If you are a Christian, you have a theology about practically everything. Now, you may not be able to articulate it. You may not be able to write it down. But you have a theology about everything. For example, you have a theology of money. You may not be able to write it out. You might not be able to cite it. But you have a theology of money. The way you spend money, the way you handle money says something about your theology of money. When I talk about theology, I'm talking about your belief system about a given matter. You have a theology about relationships. You might not be able to express it. You might not be able to define it. You might not be able to cite it. But you have a theology of relationships. If you don't believe me, look at the way you treat people. The way you treat people says something about your theology of relationships. Now, we also have a theology of success. Our theology of success is faulty. Our theology of success, I believe, is shaped by the world... ...because we are conditioned in our society to be successful. High school, even before, college, on our jobs. We are conditioned to produce. We are conditioned to have results. We are measured by how successful we are. We are are measured by what we produce... Life is about success and much of the way we view success is not so much shaped by God's word as it is by our culture and our society. And so we are taught that success is ultimate. There's that health wealth gospel and teaching out there that God wants everybody to be successful in every aspect of life. There is that health wealth mentality out there that failure is not allowed in the Christian life. And we've been shaped by that. Now, a proper theology of success is this, that God has not called us to be successful. God's called us to be committed. He's called us to be faithful. A proper theology of success says that there's going to be a balance in life. There's going to be a cycle in life. Sometimes you're going to be successful. Sometimes you're going to fail. But you and I need a theology of failure. I believe that we don't have a theology of failure because our theology of success is off base. If what we believe about success is what we really believe and what we really embrace, then it's almost impossible to have a proper theology of failure. You need a proper theology of failure. And as we work through this message this evening, hopefully you will be able to develop that. But what you need to understand about Peter and Moses and others in Scripture, is that failure was a part of their journey with God. It was a part of their faith experience, and God used it, and God shaped them, and God groomed them, and God built their destiny on their mistakes, their failures, as well as in those times when they were very successful. Develop a proper theology of failure. I like the story about Tom Kite. As you know, Tom Kite was on the PGA Tour, and he was, he was actually coached by one of the greatest coaches in golf of all time, Mr. Harvey Pinnock, who passed away a few years ago. He was one of the greatest golf coaches of all time. Tom Kite was actually coached by Harvey Pinnock. Something unusual and unique about Tom Kite, Tom Kite was a great golfer, is a great golfer, he participated 23 years in a row at the U.S. Open. Not once did he win it. Now, here's the thing about Tom. There were some years where Tom was in the top 10. There were some years where he even ranked well enough to make money, but he could never, he could never win it. Finally, in 1991, Tom Kite won the U.S. Open. And it was that particular tournament that gave him notoriety In the golf world. Now, let me ask you something. What do you think Tom Kite was feeling in those 23 years when he was losing the US Open? Maybe the first few years weren't that traumatic for him, but I I would suspect that maybe the last five years when he wasn't winning, he was probably ranking, he was probably making some money, but he couldn't quite play well enough to win first place. Do you think Tom? Felt like a failure? He probably did. But here's the, here's the key. Tom did not allow 23 years of failing at the U.S. Open to paralyze him. And that's the lesson that God wants to teach us tonight. That failure is a part of the cycle of life. It's a part of that rhythm. It's one of those seasons that we're going to move in and out of. Peter clearly demonstrates that. For us, failure is an event, not a person. Oftentimes when we fail, we say, I'm a failure. Or if we see someone fail, we'll say that person is a failure, ascribing failure on the individual. But listen, failure is not a person. Failure is an event. Circumstances can fail you. You can fail in circumstances, but you are not a failure. Now, why do I say that? I say that because of who you are. You see, you need to remember who you are in Christ. Psalm 139 tells us that God knew us even before we were born. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul tells the church at Ephesus that they were God's redeemed, that God had his seal on them, that they were God's inheritance. You and I are special people, and and when we call ourselves failures, we are demeaning our relationship with God, because we are children of God. The Bible says that we are a royal priesthood, and even though circumstances may fail you, and even though you may have uh, had failure in circumstances yourself, you are not a failure. You are a child of God. God loves you. God has a plan and, and purpose for your life. You are his chosen creation. You are his chosen generation. You are his chosen person. And he has a plan for your life. And you are not a failure. And failure is never final. It's not final unless you make it final. And in this moment, Peter decided it was over. Peter decided that it was final. And one lesson that we learn is that failure is never final. Secondly, failure is a great teacher. Peter learned some things through this experience. You see, Peter was impatient, he was impetuous, he was arrogant. Oftentimes when you see Peter in the New Testament, he was a big mouth. He often spoke before he would think about it. He often made decisions that were rash. He was often abrasive. And I think this was a good lesson for Peter because I think one of the characteristics in Peter up until this time was a sense of overconfidence. Lord, me, deny you. I would never deny you. I would never disown you. I'm Peter. You see, Peter didn't think he could disown or deny the Lord. And so, for the first time, Peter gained some insights into himself. Peter recognized that he had flaws, Peter recognized that he needed spiritual strength, Peter recognized that he had issues. It was this failure that taught him this about himself. Failure is a great teacher. You see, in Romans chapter 28 and 29, oftentimes when we look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we often quote that verse in isolation. And we know that in all things, God is at work for the good of those who love him. And then we stop right there. And that's a great verse. Because what that verse teaches us is that God is at work in all situations. He's at work in your failures. When you and I fail, God can use that situation. God can work through that situation. God can take that situation and do something splendid with it. In all things... Including failure, including mistakes, God is at work. But what is the purpose of failure? Why does God allow failure? Well, the answer is in verse 29. Again, often we'll quote quote Romans 8, 28 and we leave out verse 29. But verse 29 says, Whom he did foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What is God's plan for you? What is God's ultimate plan for you and me? God's ultimate plan is for you and I to be conformed, for you and I to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something about that. God is relentless about that. God will go to great ends to conform you and I into the image of Jesus Christ. Here's how it works. I've had people tell me, man, if God was really a loving God, if God really cared about me, he would not have allowed that. To happen, If God really cared about me, He could have stopped me from making that decision. If God really loved me, He would have prevented this from happening. But here's the truth of the matter. Yes, God is sovereign. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God can block things from happening. But I want you to know this evening that God always filters things that come into our lives. When we look at tragedy, when we look at issues in life that take away from our happiness, when we look at problems, when we look at things in life that are not so pleasant, when we even look at our own mistakes and failures, yes, God does have the power to block it. But oftentimes, God will see something coming our way. And even though he has the power to stop it, to block it, to change it, oftentimes God will look at you and he'll look at me and he'll go, you know, Reggie's a little rough around the edges right now. He needs to grow in patience or he needs to grow in love. And he can see something coming and and God looks at that situation and he goes... That situation is going to disappoint Reggie. That situation is going to be painful. That situation is going to be hard and difficult for him to swallow. But you know what? I'm going to allow him to go through that because it's going to grow him. It's going to to wear off the rough edges. It's going to develop patience in him. It's going to make him a more loving person. So I'm going to allow him to go through that. You see, God... Always allows things to go through His filter. Nothing happens to you, even your own failures. Nothing happens unless it goes through the filter of God's wisdom and God's love for you. Why? Because He wants to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. The ultimate end is that we be Christ-like. And whatever it takes for us to arrive at that, God will allow that. He will permit that to take place In our lives, why? Because failure is a great teacher. So, what are some lessons that we can learn from failure? I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list this evening. There are three things that I think failure can teach us, and I'm going to just speak out of my own life. Things that failure has taught me. First of all, failure will teach you humility. Look at Peter. Peter was overconfident. Peter was a little arrogant. Peter. Had the wrong estimation about himself. But this particular experience brought Peter down to where he needed to be. It taught him humility. It showed him that he could fail. It showed him that he did have issues. It showed him that he wasn't as strong as he really was. And one of the things that failure will do in your life and my life is it will drive us to trust God more and to depend upon Him. Because, listen, there's no way in the world that you and I can even live the Christian life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's no way that we can have wisdom in life apart from God Himself. We have to depend upon God, and that requires humility. And oftentimes, if we are not open, if we're not humble... Some of, greatest life, some of life's greatest lessons are learned through failure and mistake. It's at those moments we realize how frail we are, how unwise we are. I believe Peter learned that in that moment. Secondly, failure will teach you sympathy. Failure will teach you sympathy. It, it, it will give you feelings for others. When it will help you to really be able to relate to people when they go through uh, different things. And then failure will teach you grace. Just a personal illustration. I have always struggled with grace in my life, particularly when it comes to myself. You see, I grew up in a a family with a father who was verbally and emotionally abusive. And it affected me, it affected my two brothers, it affected my mother. And let me tell you how it affected them just very briefly. With my mother, my dad would always use derogatory terms... Things like you're stupid. Things like you will never amount to anything. I mean, he said that all throughout my childhood to me, my brothers, my mother. The way it affected my mother was it gave her a complex. Even to this day, my my mother does not believe in herself. She doesn't have any sense of self-confidence or security because she really believed what my dad said. My middle brother, he became more rebellious. Everything my dad stood for he went the other direction. My younger brother became very much like my mother, just really beaten down. He believed that, that stuff. I heard the same stuff, that you're stupid, you'll never amount to anything. Heard the same stuff. But what it did for me was it made me a type A. Because what I did was I set out in life to prove my dad wrong. But the problem with that is, is that I didn't learn a lot of grace. And what I mean by that is, in my life, I've always felt like I had to be the best. I've always felt that I had to do something for other people's approval. I always felt like I had to do something to feel good about myself. And even after I became a believer, that translated over into my life of faith. In my relationship with God, I always felt like that I wasn't quite good enough. And I had to do more and more and more and more to make God please with me. And it took me a while to recognize that, but it was through failure that I recognized, hey, it's okay to fail. It's okay not to be perfect. It's okay not to have it all together. And I learned to have grace and mercy, first of all, for myself. And then I learned to express more grace towards other people. But it was through that upbringing that I didn't really understand the nature and the principle of grace. That God accepts me just for who I am. You see, when you're raised with a father that puts all these expectations on you and he calls you derogatory names, you feel like you've got to step up to the plate to prove to your dad that he's wrong or to even get your dad's approval. And because one of the terms that we use for God is father, I had a hard time identifying with God as father because every time I would look at God as father, I saw my own human father. And so learning grace was very difficult for me, but it was through failure that I learned the principle of grace. I believe Peter learned a little bit about grace on the day where he denied the Lord. So in those seasons of failure, ask yourself the question, what is God trying to teach me? It could be sympathy. It could be humility. It could be grace. The list is inexhaustible. But every time you go through a season or an event of failure, ask yourself, what is it that God is trying to teach me? And then the last lesson that I think we learn from this story is failure is an opportunity for a new beginning. That's the way it was with Peter That's why I believe there's hope in the midst of failure because when you look at Luke chapter 22, it's dismal. It's hopeless because here's a man who was one of Jesus' closest friends, one of Jesus' best friends, one of his best followers. And in this moment, we see the tragedy of Peter denying the Lord, but better yet... We see Peter's feelings about himself, and it looks dismal. It looks hopeless. In this story, you don't see the fact that this gives opportunities for new beginnings, but it does. This was a new day for Peter, and the only way that we can see this as a season of hope, and we won't go there, but in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41, on the day of Pentecost, you remember that story? There was this individual that stood up and preached repentance. This individual preached with power, with conviction, with authority. This individual preached a short, sweet sermon, and 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ. Who was that person? That person was Peter. Acts chapter 2, we can see that there is life after failure. We see that failure breeds the opportunity for new beginnings. We see that God can still use us after failure. We see that God can reinstate us after failure. He reinstated Peter. I don't know what types of failures you've been through. I don't know what type of failure you're dealing with right now. But I do know this that God is a God of grace, God is a God of love, God loves you, you're his chosen special person, you're his child, and he will give you new opportunities, and he will reinstate you, and he will renew you even after failure, just like he did with Peter. So don't feel hopeless. Don't feel like it's final. Look at your failure as an opportunity for God to do something new, and fresh in your life. There's a closing story that I want to tell you about. You probably have heard this man by the name of Wallace Johnson. He's the builder of was the builder of numerous uh, Holiday Inn hotels. Well, he worked for a sawmill before he did that. Didn't make a lot of money. Had a wife and a few kids. One day he went to work, and when he went to work, his boss said, "'You're fired.'" And so he left work, he went home, utterly in despair, and, I mean, he was disappointed. He was frustrated. He felt like a failure. Took him a while to work through it. Finally, his wife said to him, Wallace, what are you going to do? He said, well, honey, I'm going to do what I've always wanted to do. I'm going to go into the construction business. So... This forced him to go into the construction business to do what he had always wanted to do. But he he wasn't just an ordinary construction person. Within five years, he was a multi-millionaire. And he wrote something about this experience. And I want to read just a part of what he wrote because I think this proves the point that I'm trying to make. Here's what he said. He said, I wish I could find the man who fired me. I would like to thank him for what he did. At the time... I did not understand, but it was God's wondrous way to get me into his plan. Ladies and gentlemen, can you see your failures in that way? Can you see your failures as an opportunity that God is perhaps orchestrating things in your life to move you within the center of his ultimate will for your life? That's what Wallace Johnson did. He took something that was unfortunate. He took something that he perceived as a failure, and he saw it as God's way of giving him a brand new beginning. And God will do the same thing in your life with your failures. He did it for Wallace Johnson. He did it for Peter, and he'll do it for you. But the ultimate failure in life is this thing that we call sin. Paul says, for all have sinned and come short of God's glory. That's the ultimate failure. All of us experience failure when it comes to spiritual matters. Because in God's eyes, we've all missed the mark. And that's why we need grace. And that's why we need the love of God. And that's why we need salvation. That's the only way to rectify and correct the sin problem in our life. Sin is the ultimate, is the ultimate failure in life. And we fail because of our sin nature. But only Jesus can take care of that. Only Jesus can remedy that situation in our lives. And so tonight, if you're here and you've never committed your life to Jesus and you're struggling and dealing with failures, I encourage you, I beg you, commit your life to Jesus. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll give you a brand new beginning. And if you're a Christian tonight and you love the Lord, but you're, you're struggling with failures, you're having a hard time forgiving yourself, embrace this thing called the grace of God. God does have room for mistakes and failure in your life, and God will use those failures in your life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for how you work in our life to conform us to the image of Christ. We thank you for this story about Simon Peter, who not only failed, but he felt the the ultimate failure And that was denying you. And Lord, uh, help us tonight to be able to process failure. Help us to be able to understand it. To accept it. But most of all, to allow you to work in our life. To use it for your glory. For our good. And Father, tonight we want to commit our failures to you. I pray for those who are here tonight who are struggling with this issue. I pray that they would embrace your love embrace your power embrace your strength now if you're here this evening and you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ I want to invite you today to turn to him just invite him into your heart say Lord Jesus I'm a sinner I'm sorry for my sins come into my life Make me a new creation. I give you all my mistakes. I give you all my failures. I give you all my fears. Commit your life to Jesus tonight. He'll give you a brand new beginning. Not a perfect life. But he'll be your resource in this life. And you'll spend eternity with him. Maybe you're here this evening and you're a believer. And you love the Lord with all your heart. Maybe you're struggling with issues of commitment you'll say I want a fresh commitment this evening I want to rededicate my life to Jesus Christ or maybe you're here this evening you're visiting First Baptist Church of Ruston and you're in search of a church home and you're sensing that God wants you here I invite you to make that decision how do you do that whether you want to receive Christ rededicate your life or join the church just a moment I'm going to invite the ministers of this church to come and stand here at the front we're going to sing a song if you're here this evening and you need to make one of those three decisions I invite you to do so so let's sing together Brother Chris some of the other ministers will be here at the front if you're here this evening and you need to give your life to Christ or if you need to rededicate your life if you need to join the church I invite you to come this evening and talk to one of these ministers as we sing
1: just a man.